I love that song, Revelation song. It's on my little iPod thing or whatever you call it. And um, I've listened to it like every time I run, it's on there. I just never take it off. It's on there. And uh, I love that song. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, right? Yeah, that's why we're here. Okay, maybe, maybe a little audience participation tonight. Maybe not too much. I don't want too much information. But as a child, what was your first recollection of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I'll just give you a chance to think about it. I asked this question back in 2001, and one American woman said she wanted to be Barbie. And uh, I'm really sure it didn't work out for her. But um, anyone want to share that for public consumption? I mean, one of your earliest recollections of what you thought you wanted to be when you grew up? A clown. A clown? Yeah, Phil. <laughs> Neil Armstrong, that's one of mine, too. I watched the moon landing when I was that high. Yeah, exactly. An astronaut, that's one of mine. Astronaut. But then I found out you have to train on one of those things that goes like this. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Anyone else? Rachel. I wanted to be mom of blue six kids. With six? Six kids, yeah. So you got three, right? Yeah. Sean says three's good. Well, my, I'll share my memories with you. I have three distinct ones. The uh, first one was an astronaut. That's a cool job, but I can't spin in a circle like that without losing my lunch. So, uh, The second one was to be a pro football player. I had a, I had a guy that I loved to watch. He was from my home state. Um, he was a wide receiver. He played for the Chargers, the San Diego Chargers. I mean, he was awesome, right? Wanted to be him when I grew up. Um, I noticed that the girls really liked him a lot. Uh, Believe it or not, at one point I wanted to be a rock star. Um, you know, <laughs> but you know, I found out you had to have talent, or at least be able to scream real loud. And so, anyway, I had to let that go. But I did notice the girls really liked the rock stars too. But okay, fast forward to my late teens at university and the yeah astronaut rock star, football player, it wasn't working out for me. Uh, but I was still clueless about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I went home my sophomore year, it was the end of my sophomore year, and I still had no major. My dad was a little tense about that. He was paying for my education to, to some degree. And uh, he made a suggestion. He says, hey, man, Uncle Carl's a CPA. That's a certified public accountant, for those of you who don't know. He's a CPA, and he makes lots of money. I said, okay, I'll do that. So... I majored in accounting. It's not as cool as football star or rock star, but it was attainable. So that's what I did. Um, yeah, the girls don't like accountants quite so much, <laughs> but you can get a really cool briefcase and you can say things like fully diluted earnings per share. <laughs> Karen loved that. When I say that, she goes crazy. Look at her. She's out of control. <laughs> Fully diluted earnings per share. You can say subordinated debenture bonds. Subordinated debenture bonds. Right? Right, Angie? Angie knows what I'm talking about. Okay, so back to you. What did you want to be when you grew up? I put this question uh, to a lot of people over the years, even those over the age of 40, um, and I've heard every conceivable aspiration except one. There's one that I've never heard. Uh, before I share that with you, let me ask 
the question in another way. Imagine asking Jesus what He would want you to be when you grow up. I know what He would say. He said it in the Scriptures four times. Jesus would answer you just like He would answer me. The the, the answer would be the same no matter whether we're a doctor, an engineer, a homemaker, accountant, preacher. His answer would be the same to all of us. It would be identical. Um, Let me interject before I go there. I want to remind you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 about growing up. He said, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. There may be some here, including some of us over the age of 40, who are still reasoning like a child. But those of us who are genuinely seeking to achieve spiritual maturity, we want to know what Jesus wants us to be when we grow up. As I said, He said it four times in the Gospel, Jesus wants us to be great. He uses the word. The Greek word is megas. Jesus invites us to be great. So I did a little word study this week on this word megas. Jesus is calling us to a life that has mass that has weight, that has import, that has height and depth and power. He's inviting us to a life that is large and spacious and grand and abundant and mighty and virtuous, highly esteemed and splendid. Jesus says, when my people grow up, I want them to be megas. I want them to be great. That's what He wants for you. And I'll read the text from Matthew 20, 26-27. You'll recognize it immediately. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be what? Shall be your servant. Shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. This is the answer I've never heard from anyone. I want to be a servant when I grow up. And yet... This is what the incarnate God says to His people. Be great. Be a servant. This is our call, beloved. To be a servant. Some might say, you know, I've heard the response, and it's a good response. People say, well, I, uh, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do the Lord's will when I grow up. And that sounds great. It has a good ring to it. It's laudable. It's It's noble. But to be clear, Matthew 20, 26, and the other times Jesus says this in the Gospels, He's not talking about some kind of fantastic, death-defying adventure in which we overcome impossible odds and do seemingly impossible things. That's not really what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 20, 26. He says greatness is simply being a servant. Whoever wishes to be great, In the eyes of God, be a servant. (laughs) Don't you love it? Isn't that simple? Doesn't matter if you're a doctor, lawyer, you know, whatever you do, homemaker, it doesn't matter. You can be a servant also, right? 
This is the thing that God has mapped out for His children. If we've read our Bibles, we know this is a constant, recurrent, and pervasive theme in the New Testament. Jesus is calling us to serve one another. All you got to do is read the New Testament. You, you can't miss it. God is calling His people to love and serve one another. God is calling us to greatness. He wants you to have a mega life. To be a servant. Again, it's probably not going to be a death-defying mission for God. It's going to be a pride-defying life of service. For the most part, anonymous. Nobody's going to applaud you. You're not going to receive an award. Nobody's going to write a book about you. But God sees your obedience. <laughs> God sees your obedience. In First Peter... Uh, as we know from our study thus far, that Peter's writing to dispersed and persecuted and suffering Christians. Some of these first century readers, they've lost everything. And what does God say to these Christians who suffered and lost so much? He says, keep being My people. And as we talked about last week, keep being My witnesses. Keep doing what I've called you to do. Be who you're supposed to be. Be megas. Be a great people on the earth. Serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be a great man. Be a great woman. Serve them. This is what God is going to say to us tonight in the text. Keep fervent in your love for each other. Verse 8. Keep being hospitable to one another. Verse 9. Keep serving one another. Verse 10. This is your call, beloved. If you call yourself a Christian, this is your call. This is your vocation. This is who we are. When it really gets hard, Christians are not to be defined by the trial, but by our unshakable faith in God. We're not to see ourselves as victims, but as inevitable Overcomers, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. We're not to seek to place blame for our trial. We're to rest in the sovereign hands of our great and awesome God. We are not to engage in self-pity. We're to roll up our sleeves and love the body of Christ and serve them. Even if we're in the middle of a harsh trial, a terrible trial, a trial that's draining everything you can imagine out of me. God says, love my body. Remember the context. These people have lost much. Some have lost everything. God says, love one another. Serve one another. Be great in my body. Be great in my body. This is the message to suffering Christians that Peter brings to us tonight. As we've been saying all the way through this series, Christians are not consumed by the trial. We are refined by it. Amen? We don't focus on the trial as much as we focus on God and His purposes for us in it. We don't look at the trial. We look through it. As we've been saying, we look all the way through it into eternity. Trusting what God is doing in the trial. In us and through us. 
We've talked a lot about this and I won't belabor the point. It's how Christians are to navigate the hard spot. We just keep loving and serving God. And oh yeah, we just keep loving and serving the body of Christ. I'll probably say it a couple more times. Don't call yourself a Christian if you're not loving and serving the body of Christ. This is the preeminent mark of a Christian according to the Word of God. You are proactively, selflessly, sacrificially loving and serving the body of Christ. It's who you are in the morning when you wake up. You're a servant. (laughs) You're a servant. It's how you live life. We know as Christians that even in the trial, it's not all about us. I know that many of us in the midst of a trial, we get so self-absorbed, we think it is about us. And why isn't God performing up to my expectations? Beloved, in the trial, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And you're to bring glory and honor to His name in the midst of the trial. I'm sure that most of you are aware in the modern church there's this appalling kind of consumerism in much of Christianity. People shopping for a church that serves them. For many today, often the decisive factor for joining a church is what can they do for me? How will they serve me? Beloved, do I have to tell you that's exactly opposite. When you come to a church you're supposed to be asking the other question. How can I serve them? How can I love them? (laughs) This is what God expects. This is who we're supposed to be, beloved. We're not supposed to be consumers of spiritual products. We're supposed to roll up our sleeves, go to work, and love the people. And serve the people. To be the hands and feet and tongue of Jesus Christ in the body. That's what Christians are supposed to do. God hasn't called us to be served, beloved. You can't find it in the Bible. God hasn't called you to be served. He's called you to serve. And that's who we're supposed to be. Even when it's hard. This is Peter's point. Even when it's hard, love and serve your brothers and your sisters. You heard the text read. Can somebody turn this off? It's blowing my papers. I hate when that happens. Um, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. When I read it, it reminded me of what John says in 1 John 2.18. It is the last hour. So what is the signpost that we are in the last days? What's the biblical signpost? Does anybody know? That the last days are upon us. What is the biblical signpost? Jesus has come. Messiah has come. God incarnate has come. That tells us that we are in the last days. And Jesus tells us in Revelation 22 that He's coming back. He's not only coming back, He's coming back quickly. Now wait a minute. 
Peter and John wrote these words 2,000 years ago, and Jesus says He's coming back quickly. How do we reconcile that? What, do, what does the Christian say to the skeptic about that? Well, where is He? You know what 2 Peter 3, 3-4 through says. It says, In the last days mockers will say, Where is He? Where is the promise of His coming? So what is our response? Well, we understand what God says through Peter. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, that with God one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day by God's reckoning. He's not even two days into this thing. He's not even two days into it, beloved. And why does He, why does he tarry? Is it because that uh, He's slow regarding His promise? What does the Scripture say? No, He's patient that you might repent. Today is the day of grace, beloved. And God tarries because He loves to extend grace. It's the day of grace. If you don't know Him, run to Christ. And if you have friends and family that don't know Him, exhort them to come to Christ. This is the day of grace. This is the day of God's unbelievable mercy that none of us deserve the Bible clearly tells us that we are in the last days, that Jesus is coming back quickly. I just want to share with you just quickly that this is both a warning and an exhortation. The warning is do not mock the fact that God has said He is coming back quickly. Do not mock His Word by living as if you don't believe it. If you live like you don't believe He could split the sky today, you are mocking what He has clearly said. So I exhort you, do not mock God's Word by living with no real sense of spiritual urgency, by living with no real conviction uh, about being prepared when He comes, by, by living with no real awareness of your spiritual stewardship before Him. Jesus says, I'm coming back and I'm coming back quickly. You're supposed to be thinking about this every day and living like you believe it's true. So I, I encourage you, do not mock the Word of God by living like it is not true. The exhortation is simply the flip, the flip side of that. Live every single day with a sense of spiritual urgency, loving and serving the body, uh, sharing the truth with unbelievers. Be ready every single day for His return that we would not be ashamed at His coming as, as John says in 1 John 2.28. Live every single day as a good steward, investing in the kingdom, investing in the body, you know, taking the long view, holding to this life loosely, and pointing at the Bema seat. You know, I, I say it to you a, a lot point at the Bema seat. You're pointing at the Bema seat where you will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of your deeds in the body. It's not about sin, it's about reward. But be ready to give an account. Be ready to give an account. This is what God is saying to us tonight. The end is at hand. Live like you believe it. Live a Megas life. You don't have much longer to live a Megas life. If you're going to do what Jesus called you to do, you need to get busy. He might show up before we leave here. 
I know there's a lot of confusion about end times, and I know there's a lot of confusion. People think, well, six things have to happen before Jesus can come. Wrong! The first century believers thought He was coming back then! And they were ready. So I, I, I challenge you, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to split the sky? Are you ready? Jesus says, I am coming back. For my people, I'm coming back quickly. Don't mock His Word, beloved. Therefore, be of sound judgment, as the text says, and sober spirit for the purposes of prayer. I love what John... I was reading some background this week. I love what John MacArthur says. Yeah, we believe Jesus is coming back quickly, but we're not sitting on the roof in our pajamas waiting. I love that, right? What are we doing? We're doing what He told us to do. We're serving the brethren. We're sharing the truth with, with a lost world. But in the church, we're serving one another. We're loving one another. This is the Word of God. We're living our lives with sound judgment and a sober spirit. Listen, if a little girl decides she wants to be a doctor, just dreaming about it's not going to get it done, right? That's not going to get it done. You can't just dream about it what do you have to do if you want to be a doctor, Blessing? You have to work like really hard to be a... You have to do the work. You have to do the work. Same thing is true for any Christian who wants to walk uh, with the Lord and be used mightily of God. You can't just dream about it. You've got to do the work. You've got to give yourself to it. You've got to know His Word. You've got to pray, confess your sin, repent of your sin. You've got to believe, obey, minister, give, love, serve, etc., etc., etc. You have to give yourself to it. You can't just dream about it. You've got to do the work. So how does this sound judgment? How do we get this sound judgment? You know what I'm going to say. You've got to be in the Word of God. You've got to be studying the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, sitting under the sound preaching of the Word of God. We're in the process of taking every thought captive, right? As Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. We're in the process of letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. Colossians 3. 16. We are renewing our minds by meditating upon God's Word day and night. Romans 12 and Psalm 1. That's how we develop a sound mind. By being in, in the Word, being immersed in the Word, being saturated in the Word. We begin to think God's thoughts. <laughs> it's the only way you're ever going to start thinking God's thoughts is if you're in God's Word. You know, if you're listening to the media, you're going to be thinking the world's thoughts. And pretty soon you're going to be start feeling sorry for yourself. Woe is me. I don't have enough stuff. I don't have enough money. My job's no good. My friends treat me bad. My spouse not treating me right. My kids are sorry. You know, it's something, right? But those are not God's thoughts. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you're saturated in the Word of God, you will be thinking His thoughts. I love how Romans 12, verse 3 says it. Do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. 
so as to have sound judgment. There it is right there. I mean, you know, just it's not all about you. You hear me say it a lot. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think more highly of your brother. Think more highly of your sister. This is what God is saying to us. And Peter adds, be of sober spirit. The meaning of the Greek word translated sober is twofold. To be alert and watchful. One, uh, be alert to what God is doing. Sober spirit, be alert to what God is doing. Two, to be calm and collected in your spirit, trusting what God is doing. Be alert to it and trust it. I know some people who are alert to it, but they never trust it. They never trust it. They're always questioning God in their life, the providences of God in their life. Trust what God is doing, beloved. You call yourself a Christian, trust what God is doing in your life. He can be trusted. He is a competent God. He is a competent God. He knows what He's doing in your life. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. Trust Him. Stop whining. Stop wringing your hands and trust God. This is what the Lord's called us to do. We are to be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. There are 25 sermons I could preach on prayer. But I'll just remind you uh, of the New Testament command to devote yourself to prayer six times in the Bible. Six times in the New Testament. Devote yourself to prayer. Six times. And I love 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. The connotation being that for the Christian, prayer is like breathing. And I'm not just talking about the act of prayer. I'm talking about a mindset of prayer. When God says pray without ceasing, He doesn't mean to be on your knees 24-7 or every waking hour. That's not what He's talking about. But He's talking about someone who's in constant communion with Him all the way through the day. It's a conversation all day, right? (laughs) The conversation never stops, right? Whether it's a problem at work or a problem at home or or a difficulty in the community, there's something going on at the church, I'm talking to God about it. Lord, you know, this is why a lot of people are stressed out. They don't talk to God about it. They've taken the problem on themselves. They're trying to carry the whole load. God doesn't mean for you to carry the load. He means to carry the load. You just got to give it up to Him and trust Him. I see, you know, I will say this. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I don't see this often. Someone who just lets providence roll off their back and they just trust God. It's a beautiful thing. I see it in my wife. And I do see it in others. But you know, a lot of people are still struggling with trusting God. <laughs> I mean, why, are you, why do you want to call yourself a Christian if you don't trust Him? Beloved, He's trustworthy. He is a trustworthy God. So our default mindset is to be something, some, some, some blessing comes, praise God. Some difficulties springs up today, praise God. Our default mindset is, oh Lord, praise you for this blessing. Oh Lord, help me in this trial. Oh Lord, that's our default mindset. I think that's what the text is talking about. This is how I would paraphrase verse 7. 
I'm bringing history, God is saying, I'm bringing history to a close. Therefore, be saturated in My Word. Think biblically about Me, about the Word, and about yourself. Be alert, watchful, and calm in your spirit, always communing with Me. That's verse 7. Verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, there are 25 sermons here I could talk about loving one another. But did you notice, God says, what is the first word in verse 8? The first two words, what does it say? I have the NAS, which is the most literal. But it says, above all. Above all what? Someone tell me. I want to make sure you hear me. I want you to say it back to me. Above all what? Love each other. Above all, love each other. You know, Christianity is not that hard. We just make it hard. Love each other. Love each other. As the Lord says, literally, before all else, love each other. I love this Greek word translated fervent. It means to love without ceasing, to love intently, to love earnestly, to love exhaustively, to love thoroughly. I love this image. It means to be stretched out or strained in loving one another. The image is a horse running at full speed. His, every muscle in his body is taut. He's running at full speed. This is, the, this is the word picture. Be stretched out to love one another. And you, we know this. I hope you know this. Jesus says this is the preeminent mark of those who truly follow Him. John 13, uh, 34-35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another, even as I have loved you. By, by this all men will know that you are Mine, because you love like this. I love what John Piper says. He says, To call ourselves Christians and to live without love toward one another is a big lie about God. You know, the world doesn't give much credence to Christianity because really... Uh, in, in most circles, it's simply not lived out. It's simply not lived out. The world observes the body not loving each other. Not serving each other. Christians are to love Christians as Christ loves Christians, right? Do you understand that? Are you doing that? Christians are to love Christians as Christ loves Christians. I to love Horatio as Jesus loves me. Horatio is to love Angie as Christ loves him. Angie is to love Blessing as uh, Christ loves her. See how it works? I know it's impossible. I know it's hard. I know it's huge. God hasn't called us to do possible things, beloved. We're not called to simply do possible things. Let me just share with you very briefly. Uh, you know that 1 John is the book of assurance. It's basically, to say it another way, it's what a Christian is supposed to look like. You want to know if you're a Christian? Go read 1 John. If you look like 1 John, you're most likely a Christian. And John just says it over and over and over again. 1 John 3.10 Anyone who does not love his brother, he is not of God. 
1 John 3.11 This is the message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. There it is. You can know if you're born again. If you're born again, you're going to love the brethren. It's, it's right there in black and white. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love our brothers and our sisters. 1 John 3.18 Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. 1 John 3.16 We know love by this that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Let us lay down our lives for the brethren. I've told you many times this is not a reference to martyrdom. Lay down your life for the brethren in your love and in your service to them. This is what the Scripture is saying. So what does Peter mean with this when he says love covers a multitude of sin? Two things. Two things. Simply this, that if you treat me bad, you gossip about me, you take advantage of me, and I do what God commands me to do in that scenario, which is to get revenge and take retribution and to pay you back, right? Isn't that what God says? If somebody treats you bad, pay him back. That's not what God says, is it? If I do what God commands me to do, I, I forgive you and I love you and I never tell anyone about it, I don't speak about it, your sin is covered. As far as the eyes of men are seen, nobody else knows you sinned. I've covered it with my love. So I challenge you, cover, cover your brothers and sisters' sin against you with your love, beloved. The other thing, of course, that it means is that from a divine perspective, our sin is ultimately covered by the love of Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. This is a big deal with God. <laughs> he says it six times in the New Testament. Be hospitable. Paul said, told the Romans, practice it. Practice hospitality. This is a big deal with God. As I was working on the sermon, I couldn't help but think of Amy and Michael Reinhardt who for years now have opened their home for meals and for Bible study. This is hospitality. I couldn't help but think of Veronica and uh, Mike Kraft who have been opening up their house recently when Mike and Amy were indisposed on their luxury cruise. Um, I just had to say it once. <laughs> on their well-deserved vacation. And I can remember Karen got an email from Veronica that said, We are so happy! To have you coming. This is hospitality, brothers and sisters. And I can't help but think of Angie. We've been meeting in her little apartment for, I guess, over a year now to have Bible study. And, you know, we just all trample in there. And, it's, you know, we, we turn it up, we turn her apartment upside down. But she has us in with a smile on her face. Thank you, Angie. Thank you for your hospitality. It's been a lot of fun. God says, be hospitable without complaint. Literally, without murmuring and without muttering. Without complaint. Be hospitable one to another. Verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. There are at least 25 sermons worth of things I could say about God's gifting of His church. Um, Suffice to say, God is unmistakably clear here in verse 10. There is no ambiguity in what He says to us regarding our gifting. He says, I've gifted every one of you. Don't don't say you don't have a gift and you don't have anything to offer. That's wrong. You're contradicting the Word of God. You do have a gift. And you're supposed to be using that gift here. And when you go to the next church, you use that gift there. You, are, you have a gift. You're supposed to, to be using that gift. Number two, God says, I expect you to use that gift in the body. Number three, you are steward of that gift, implying, of course, as we know from other Scripture, we will render an account to God on how we have employed that gift. I like how God says at 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, Now there are varieties of gifts, variety of ministries, variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for, hear this, the common good. Your ministry is not about you. Your gift is not about you. It's about me. And it's about the person sitting next to you. It's about all of us. It's not about you. It's about us. And you're to bring it and use it in the church. Ephesians 4.12, God says, These gifts are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Let me just share with you quickly 1 Corinthians 12. You know the great text, 15-27, to where God compares the body of Christ to a human body. And he says this, that I have sovereignly placed each member in the body just as I want it. (laughs) Just as I want it, he says, just as he desires. One member can never say to another member, I have no need of you. Each member's function is vital to the health of the body as a whole. Members of the body are to obey the head, that being Jesus, and to operate in concert with every other member of the body. Every single member of the body is necessary. None are insignificant. I always love the words Jesus spoke in Matthew 10-42. Jesus said, whoever gives a drink of water to one of these little ones, I tell you the truth, they will not lose their reward. Don't you ever think your service is insignificant. If you're serving, it is not insignificant. And King Jesus will ensure that you Get your reward. Even if it's just handing a glass of water to someone. I love this. I love this text, man. You know, it just makes me want to, you know, yeah. You know, if I'm looking in the mirror, I'm thinking, man, I'm tired. I want to do that. If I'm looking at Jesus, I want to do that. I want to do that. John MacArthur's right when he says, A Christian who does not have a ministry in the body of Christ is a contradiction. He is being disobedient. He is denying God the right to use him in the way God intends. When we refuse to follow God's will in this, we deny his authority, his lordship, his wisdom, and his goodness. You say, well, Jim, I don't know what my gift is. I know you've heard me say this to you a million times, so I'm not going to go through the whole deal. But you know what I'm going to say. If you don't know what your gift is, if you'll roll up your sleeves and go to work, In the church, you will run into your gift. You'll just run into it. So you don't need to go take a test online to find out what your gift is. The way you find out what your gift is, I I took one of those when I was an immature Christian. 
I don't have a lot of confidence in them. The way you find out what your gift is is roll up your sleeves and serve the body of Christ. Roll up your sleeves and love the body of Christ. You'll find out what your gift is. God will take you right to it. <laughs> He'll take you right to it. Ultimately, your gift is yourself, right? My gift is Jim Albright and I give it to the body. Josh's gift is Josh. And he, and he gives it to the body. Annette's gift is Annette. And she gives it to the body. And as God says here in verse 11, let the one who with a speaking gift, let him be faithful to the Word of God. Let the one with a serving gift serve in the strength of God. We are to speak and serve in a way that God is glorified. Beloved, I know you know this. Your gift, your ministry, it's for the glory of Jesus. It's for the glory of Jesus and for the benefit of the church. Yeah, so, what does Jesus want you to be when you grow up? It's what Peter's been talking to us about tonight. He wants you to be great. <laughs> he wants you to be megas. A megas people. A people who love and serve one another. This is what the Lord is calling us to do and to be. Jesus says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So I'm going to ask you, have you grown up yet? Have you grown up in Christ yet? Have you matured as a Christian yet? Are you living the Megas life yet? Are you loving and serving His people yet? This is Christianity. Did you notice Peter breaks out in a mini doxology here? He says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. King Jesus reigns. Yes. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Be sure that's in my funeral. Psalm 99.1 Yes, He's King. He's God. Yes. Peter just breaks out into spontaneous doxology. You know, if you have biblical theology, the inevitable result is doxology and the inevitable result of that is a life spilled out for Jesus. Man, if you ever catch a glimpse of Jesus, you, a, a, a real glimpse of Jesus, you know, you just can't live small. We talked about it last week. You can't live small anymore. It just doesn't add up anymore. You can't live a safe, secure existence anymore. That can't be your top priority. There's nothing wrong with being safe and secure. That's not my point. But that can't be your ultimate priority. Serving Jesus has to be. Let me just close with this to you know, augment the mini-doxology. The Apostle John saw King Jesus and he writes, His eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And His face was like the sun shining in its strength. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. 
and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Hail King Jesus! Beloved, live a mega life for this megas God. That's the challenge tonight. Go out there and live a megas life for this megas God. And love and serve this body until you leave. And when you leave, you love and serve the next body. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for your word as always. Sometimes we need to be awakened from our spiritual slumber. We need to remember who we are and what you've called us to. We need to remember that the distinguish, distinguishing mark of a true believer is that he loves the body and he serves the body. Lord, I know that we've all fallen woefully short in this area, but Lord, I pray that each one of us would walk out of here with a renewed sense of urgency, a new commitment to discover how we can better love and serve this body and how we can love and serve the next body, Lord, that You put us into. I pray that we would hear Your words and I pray that we would incorporate them in our lives. Hail King Jesus. Hail King Jesus. We are filled with wonder. Awestruck wonder. What a great God. What a Megas God. Help us, Father, to be a Megas people. Help us to be a great people. Help us to be a people who serve and love the people of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.